My name is Brian Lancy. I work at MasterCard as the Global Sponsorships Business Leader. Global Sponsorships Business Leader. Sounds like a mouthful. It is. Can you explain a little bit about what that role is? Absolutely. So I oversee music and entertainment sponsorships on a worldwide basis for MasterCard, setting the strategy and then working with each region and country around the world to localize that strategy. So that sounds fun, doesn't it? Sounds fun. And so for simple speak, for, for my Hofstra Delphi education, um, you help MasterCard spend their money in the world of sports and entertainment um, with, with almost an unlimited credit card, but a tremendous amount of insight coming in and out of how you measure, how you evaluate, and ultimately how you procure uh, these type of events. Working at MasterCard, how long have you been there for? Uh, just about two and a half years. So two and a half years, and you have a pretty storied career in the world of sports and entertainment. Companies like Mars, Brand Synergy Group, working with some of the biggest artists in the world, Dr. Pepper, uh, Snapple Group, Octagon, uh, all amazing companies to work for. Um, but what was your first job, your first job you ever had? When I was 14 years old, I had a job at a local video rental store. So a video rental store... Um, that wasn't a digital download of today's movie. It wasn't even a DVD when you were 14 years old. That was a VHS tape. Hard to think about it that way, Mark, but yes, uh, you actually had to leave your house, go to a store, spend $3 to borrow a physical copy of a, sh of a show, and then return it two days later unless you wanted to pay the $3 daily late fee. And I remember the, those days very well. I would spend $3 on a two-day rental, but I wouldn't return it for 10 days. It would sit like in a pile somewhere under the newspapers in my house, and we'd get a call a week and a half later that nobody returned Major League, and now we owed the video store $50, which was more than the cost of the tape. And so you were 14 years old. How did you uh, get the job? So actually, my dad wanted me to work, didn't want me sitting around on the weekend, and he was there and asked him if they needed help, and they said, sure. So... So it's Friday night, you and your dad are looking at, you and your family at the video store looking at potential movies to rent. Your dad opens up his mouth and says, hey, you looking for any additional help? My son needs a job. Exactly. And so you worked there. How much did they pay you an hour? Paid me $4.25 an hour. $4.25 an hour. And how many hours a week did you work? I worked back then, it was two to three nights a week, uh, four-hour clips. So I would do two weekend days and then one day during the week when I didn't have sports. And was $4, was that minimum wage then? Yeah, $4.25. And, and where was the video store? Uh, Comac, New York, in Long Comac, Island. In, in Long Island. Yep. Amazing. And from, from the video store, uh, you mentioned you graduated uh, to some bigger and better things in high school. <laughs> Yes, I went on to be a chicken cutter at Kenny Rogers Roasters several years later. And how'd you get the job at Kenny Rogers? I went in and asked. Went in and asked. You were a junior in high school. You are probably getting your license soon. Yep. Had, to, had a car, gas, and insurance to pay for. And you got a job working at Kenny Rogers. Remember what they paid you? Not exactly, but I'm going to guesstimate it was probably $5 and change. So I got a little bit of a raise and did it three days a week. And why did you pick Kenny Rogers? It's hard to think about this pre-Facebook, pre but the social center of the world at that time in our town was Kenny Rogers because all the cute girls also worked there, so all the boys went there, and that seemed like the best place to go work. So you figured being the chicken cutter might get you some social clout. Exactly. Interesting. Interesting when you think about your career now, especially, um, and social clout and, and where you worked. Um, so you, you go through Kenny Rogers, you graduate high school. Where did you go to college? Ithaca College. Ithaca College. When you were in Ithaca, did you, do, did you have any jobs while you were on campus? I did. Uh, so my sophomore year, I took a job as the help desk consultant. Again, hard for people to think about what that means in the year 2000 versus now when it was hard disks. Um, hard disks. Hard disks. Yes. Um, email was just happening uh so people starting disks, to use it hard disks were little, little, little devices almost like a, a pre-usb device 
Yeah. That you would you would uh, you would put into a computer to save your files. I think what was their storage? One point six megabytes or three point yep. something megabytes. Mm-hmm. And so you worked at help desk, and they paid you in school to do that. Yep. Why'd you choose that job? I chose a job for two reasons. One, it was on campus, and I'd refused to work in the cafeteria. But more importantly, I thought technology was the next thing. And trying, then I thought at that time that working at the help desk would give me the opportunity to learn how to work the back ends of uh, computers, email, software, things, things like that. And what helped spur that interest in technology? Uh, my dad worked at a technology company at the time, and watching him, what he had done, kind of made me think that that was the future. And I didn't know what that actually meant, but I knew that it was something that I wanted to learn. Is the same dad that pushed you for a job at the video store. Yes. Which were probably some of the most technological retail establishments <laughs> in, uh, in the environment back in the late 80s, early 90s, right? Oh, yeah. Interesting. So do you think your dad chose for you to, or pushed you on the, on the video store based on his background in technology? I think, I think as my career went on, maybe, but this one, I think he was just trying to push me out of the house. And that was a place, it was a mom-and-pop store, probably didn't think too much about child labor laws and hiring a 14-year-old kid and paid me off the books, and uh, that's probably why in that one. So job number one, let's call it the, the, tech, the, the technology company of our childhood, the video store. Job number two, Kenny Rogers, because it paid some, paid some cheddar and you wanted, mm-hmm. to, you wanted to be in the epicenter of things and be cool, have some social clout. You get a job in college that allowed you not to travel far uh, and also start to experiment a little bit with something that you kind of seen around the house and, and heard your dad talk about. Um, where did you intern in college? So I interned my first year at my dad's company called Computer Associates where I worked in the warehouse shipping mainframe computers uh, both internally in the company and externally to their so, uh, so your customers. third technology job. Yep. And did you get paid for that internship? No. It, uh, that's a good question, Mark. I'm going to say if I did, it was nominal, so let's just say no. It was amazing back then how it was legal not to pay interns. Maybe it wasn't legal, but yeah, nobody no. followed the rules. But if I did get paid, it was like 200 bucks for the summer, so it wasn't significant, but... In high school, two hundred dollars, or in college, I guess two hundred. So you're in the where, so you're in the warehouse at Computer Associates, uh, physical labor, pretty much, right? Walk exactly around, pack was. things up, ship it out. Uh, why did you want to work there besides it being where your dad worked? Well, actually, so my dad was the one who wanted me to work there because he felt that it was a humbling job that would teach me that you got to learn how to work hard. And did your dad work in the warehouse too? He did not work in the warehouse. So you had a job at a company. Your dad wanted you to work there, uh, but he wanted you to learn in the warehouse, which probably isn't the, the sexiest job or, or the easiest job uh, for some humbling experiences. And that helped lead to your next internship? Yeah, so when I was working at the warehouse, one of the accounts that we worked on was an ad agency called KZS. And I met those folks, uh, and I then was able to parlay my job in the warehouse to, or my internship in the warehouse to an internship at KZS the following year. So you met them while you're in the warehouse. How'd you get to know them in the warehouse? So I would bring them computers every so often, and I met uh, two women there, and so we you're, got the, you're, the, well. you're the computer delivery man. Essentially. And and you'd go drive over to their offices. You, but your job's just to drop off computers get the signature and leave, correct? Pre-email or when when that was starting, if you needed someone to sign something, someone had to get in a car, drive and How did this how did the obtaining the signature process lead to getting to know the people there? As I would go, they would always ask me, "Who are you? You seem young, you know." So we would just start to talk and as I told them my story, they were just Fascinated, And then at the end of my internship at Computer Associates when I was there, they started to talk about needing someone in the office I can help them do things such as that. And I said, great, I would love that chance. And, and uh, so, they liked, they liked, so they liked you so much that they kept a job open for you throughout the entire school year <laughs> for you to come back and be in the office. I, I, I wouldn't put it that way. That's a very nice way. I think it was 
nobody was willing to do that work for the next year. And as an intern, they then brought me in, uh, no pay my first summer, and did a lot of the work that the staff around the office either didn't have the time to do or didn't have the interest to do. So this is an ad agency. They appreciate the smiley, nice person dropping off their computers. They said, hey, you're young. Nobody wants the job of dropping off the computers. You got a great attitude. Stay in touch with us. And a year, almost a year later, they said, we'd love to have you be the smiley, nice person doing another job that nobody wants to do. So what endeared you or what what a... What made you, what appealed from an ad agency's point of view to you to go just do the, the mundane work? Uh, you, I assume you were not working on yep. campaigns or coming up with great ideas or sitting in all these amazing meetings, were you? No, I mean, I think it was really naivete because at the time I was working in a warehouse, hard labor, sweating, um, and the idea of wearing a tie every day to work, sitting in an office seemed like a significant step up. So I didn't really care what I did at that time. I just wanted that chance to, to be in that office. Did your dad wear a tie to work every day? He did. So when you think about it, you worked in the video store for some money, Kenny Rogers for some clout and some money, a good opportunity at school to make some money and learn some technology. You ended up in a technology company mm-hmm. to learn, learn, to be humble, learn the grit. You built some people skills, yep. which then got you to wear a tie, show up to an ad agency every day, and really start to begin the next phases of your, of your career. Yep. Um, what did you like about the ad agency? My first year, I loved the people who worked there. I didn't know what the actual work was. But I loved all the folks that I met. So to me, working in a place where there was that connection meant uh, meant all the world to me. And then as I started to get there and I started to see what the actual work was, it made it that much more fun because I was, I, you know, as I said, doing the work that nobody wanted. And I didn't care. I loved it. And I made the most out of that every single day I was there in the office. And so doing the work that nobody wanted, did that put you in rooms um, maybe by osmosis or by accident to uh, pick up and read and hear. How did you get the exposure to uh, the actual advertising side of the business? Yeah, so I think whether it was you know, here at KZS or really whatever job I, I've been in, um, I've kind of took it upon myself to just always ask, well, how else can I help? So as an intern, there, you're probably spending most of your day not working than you actually are doing work that that – matters. So for me, when I had that downtime, I would go person to person, office to office and ask them, how can I help you? What do you have today that you want to get done that you don't have the time? And through that, I was able to build relationships with other people that I didn't necessarily work with. And that led them to ask me to help them out more and more. So on day one, I was doing press clippings by day or by, you know, midway through that summer, I was sitting in on meetings, account things, creative meetings, and being more involved as a young account executive rather than just an intern. And did everyone that you went to and said, is there anything else I can do to help you say yes? I would probably say 99% of them said no. So 99% of them said no. 1% of them maybe said yes. And why do you think that they then brought you into these bigger meetings and, and gave you more exposure later on. Isn't some of these things confidential? Mm-hmm. Aren't some of these things where they might be scared that you're going to speak up and say something you shouldn't um, or or just get in the way? Yeah, I think people said yes uh, for a few reasons. One is persistence. I was there every day. And every day I was in. So I worked four days a week. Every day I was there, I went back. I had my... Routine. I started from the back of the office, worked my way to the front, and every day I would ask them. And over time, I think there was a trust that was created that it wasn't a one-time thing. So it showed passion. It showed interest. Um, and this, by doing it each and every single day I was there, um, really allowed the folks in the office to open up to a 19-year-old kid, and they then started to ask me. I didn't do anything special, but... When someone asks you over and over and repeats it, you're eventually going to say yes and, and help. And then people started to then open up and give me tasks that 
were small enough, and as that trust level built, the tasks that were el- that were asked of me also increased over to over time as well. And so the speed to trust in a very condensed summer, um, you know, the sooner they trust you, and the more they trust you, the more opportunity you had, the more chances you had to take advantage of that finite time, which gave you a great exposure. I guess sounds like your first exposure to the world of advertising. Mm-hmm. I think maybe. Kenny Rogers might have did that too as you were kind of advertising yourself to uh, the social scene in Comac. Mm-hmm. And so 19, 20 years old, you're now graduating college and the it seems like through your career, um, advertising had an effect on you. Uh, where did you search for your first job out of school? I searched everywhere. I believe, so this was now, fast forward to 2000, this is summer or fall of 2000. I think I had called every single ad agency in New York at that time, um, asking for a job, trying to find f- my way. How did you even find out the name of the ad agencies that existed? So I Google. Well, it probably wasn't Google back then. It was probably Netscape, yeah, <laughs> or Netscape. Netscape, or or Prodigy, or Prodigy, or maybe Yahoo was was just think, bug, was just coming on the scene. I don't think AOL had a search engine. Um, you know, I had asked my dad. I had asked my head of marketing in college for names and then I just started to really network and I think that experience and how difficult that was for me at that time taught me the value of networking in that even if there's one, only one job you want to put your ring put your hat in the ring for as many jobs as you possibly can because the odds are you probably won't get that one job and I think at one point if I can remember correctly I had a spreadsheet of about 20 ad agencies from the largest ones in the world to mom and pops and I had names and dates of when I would contact them and was just trying to make the best and the most out of that experience. You knew you wanted to work in advertising. There there was no LinkedIn for you to go on and just search everyone and send them a note. Phone calls. Who are you calling? 1-800-BBDO? I mean, so it started as an email generally, and I think generally in this process, people want to help, especially when you're coming out of college or you're younger in your career. So I would speak to a person at YNR, and they said they would say, look, we don't have anything right now, but call Mark. Mark may have something. And then I would call or shoot a note over to Mark and say, hey, Bob told me to call you. Maybe you have something. This is what I'm trying to do, and and you you know one person leads to three contacts. Three contacts will hopefully lead to five or six, and then you just start to really build a, a network. But I think the most important thing in that process is ask, because people don't want to necessarily volunteer because they're not thinking of it. Well, it also brings up some good points, right? I think you know someone who does a lot of interview favors, mm-hmm. uh, you do want to help people, but it's the best thing you can do is maybe, to your point, maybe turn them on to somebody else. One, you're doing them a favor. Two, you feel like you got some, some gave some value. I did the favor I need to do, but I got you <laughs> off of me. Go meet my friend Dave. He's yes. hiring. Maybe you'd be great for him. You're not good for me, but you'd be great for my friend Dave. Yep. So you go through that process, um, and how many interviews did you get? In-person, face-to-face interviews, probably no more than three. And which companies, uh, do you remember the companies you interviewed at? I do. Uh, how could I forget? I interviewed at YNR, Ogilvy Mather, and then uh, a division of BBDO. Uh, so, so the three players, Young and Rubikim, Ogilvy, BBDO, it's basically the Yankees, the Red Sox, and who, who won the World Series this year? Neither Houston of us. Houston Astros. Houston. <laughs> uh, think about so, that. So literally the three big players in sports, three big players in advertising, you get interviews with all three, and did did um, did all of them offer you a job? Uh, no, only uh, YNR did. YNR offered you a job, and what, where are you now in your in your in your school career? You're graduated. I am finishing my my spring semester. So the so the importance of getting a job before you graduated that that was that was very kind of high urgency for you. Yeah, so I started this process probably in October. October of the of my senior year and uh started in October, used my time home in December to try to meet 
face to face with as as many people as I possibly can. Follow back up with them again in the spring. Even though you're not going to need a job for five six months, you said, "Hey, I want to bother you today, get to know you." Yeah, you know, my dad was a mentor to me, and he used to always say, "If people had the choice to work with people they like or people they don't, they're going to choose people they like ten out of ten times." So. Find a way to connect. Find a way for them to want that person to be you. Because the likelihood of these firms hiring someone right out of college was probably low. So if they only are hiring three or four people and everybody knows somebody, how do you endear yourself enough where they think of you as someone that they would want working for them? So you get a job at YNR, Young and Rubicam? Yep. Do you remember what they paid you? I don't. I'm going to guesstimate it was probably uh, $25,000, $30,000 a year. $25,000, $30,000 a year. This is 2000, 2001? Yep, 2001. And you're living in Manhattan? Living uh, uh, living at home. Living in Comac? In Comac. Living in Comac. You're taking the LIRR? Every day, to, grinding it out. To the Comac stop? From the Comac stop? Deer Park, Deer Deer Park, Park. train to uh, Penn Station. And what's, that's a 45, 50-minute train, right? Uh Probably closer to an hour, yeah. An hour train ride every day with no delays. Yeah. You're taking a $6, $7 ticket on that train. Yep. Round trip every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then how far was the office from Penn Station? Uh, it was in the 50s, I believe. So it was, you know, another 20 minutes subway. So another, and another uh, subway then is probably about two bucks, maybe a little less. But another two, three dollars a day in subway. So about an hour, hour and a half commute. Uh, spending about a third of your salary just showing up every day. Uh, they didn't reimburse you for any of your travel expenses? Well, it's actually funny because I never actually worked a day at, at YNR. You didn't get to work a day at YNR? That's correct. Why is that? Uh, so I graduated in May, wasn't supposed to start till the end of September, and September 11th happened, and all incoming jobs were wiped out. What was your, what was your uh, potential start date? I don't remember exactly. But it, was after, it wasn't September 10th. No, it wasn't. It was end of September, beginning of October. So we've spoken to some people who have gone through the auto and ad industry crisis in 2007, 2008. The world went to hell. They lost their jobs. Mm-hmm. We've had some great talks with people who went through the, da- the uh, online dot-com crash mm-hmm. and had graduated around that time mm-hmm. and there was no opportunities. But you literally... Walked into an amazing opportunity, one of the largest ad agencies in the world, and you had it ripped out from under you, unfortunately, uh, during a very, very tragic time around mm-hmm. 9-11. And probably nobody felt bad for you with what was going on in the world at that point. You're just lucky to be alive. Exactly. Were there offices near 9-11? No, they were mm-hmm. on 50th Street. Yeah, they were in Midtown. But they chose to put a, a hiring freeze on just because no one knew where the world was going at that point. Yep. So you never get to t- you never get to pay your way on the train to come into the city for an hour and a half to take another subway to go to this amazing advertising job. What did you do? So I had time on my hands, so I volunteered for a gentleman named Tom Swazi's uh, Nassau County Executive uh, Run, uh, and that's what I did for the next two three months. So you go home. You have no job. You're now graduated from college. It's September twelfth. What'd your dad say to you? He said, time to go to work. He said, uh, you cannot sit around and mope. Got to go find something. So your dad, who's been nothing but amazing in getting you your first job at the video store, helping with an internship to keep you humble in his company, which led to your opportunity in the ad industry, didn't have any sympathy for you. Didn't feel bad. Not really. So you go, you have this campaign job, can't, you work on a campaign for a couple months, and then what happens? So they offered me a job actually at the end of the campaign. So Tom Swazi wins. He was the first Democrat to occupy that county in ages, and he offered me a job. All because of your knocking on doors, kissing hands, shaking babies, because you learned how to be a wonderful networker and communicator yep. for your earlier jobs. So now he wants you to come run Long Island with yeah. him. Yeah. And, 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 and what do you say? I said, uh, thank you, but no thank you. Um, after spending three months in politics, I, I just learned at that point, while it was something I thought I wanted to pursue in college, I, I learned that it was, was actually not such the case. And did you pass on this because you had another paying job lined up? I did not. But you knew what you didn't want to do? 100%. And I think a lot of times we go through our career trying to identify what our dream job is and what we want to do. I, I've always tried to say, 
I still don't know what I want to do, but I'm just, I keep figuring out what the hell I don't want to do. Every day. And so you learn that at a pretty young age. You probably knew you didn't want to go back to a warehouse or to Kenny Rogers or to the video store. Where did that lead you to? Unemployment again. Unemployment. Um, did they pay you for unemployment? No, because you <laughs> no, weren't getting paid on the They never got paid. Volunteer right. work does not pay so well. So in, income stayed at that level of zero. So once again, my uh, hero and savior, my dad, uh, connected me with a vendor of his at the time and said, this guy does some unique stuff. You should just go have lunch and hear what he says. So, And this is a, a marketing or advertising service? Yeah, so it was a company called National Communications Group that did print and creative designs focusing in the sports and entertainment space. And where were they based? 27th and Park. Still there. In New York City? In New York City. And so you took the train, that same train. You probably couldn't even take a subway from Penn Station to 27th. So what you do, walk? Yeah, every day. 13 minutes. Walked over. And do you remember the gentleman you met with? I do. Scott May. Scott May. Is Scott still there? Still there. Still and is Scott, running his company. Scott runs the company. So you went to Scott, you're 21, 22 years old, you just got off this campaign, you probably got a little bit more confidence in your, in your speech and your step, you said, hey, I think you do some cool stuff, my dad recommended I speak to you, he said, great, I've been looking for a guy like you. No, he said, have you ever thought about working in sports? And I, I have to be honest, I, I said no. Um, and at that point in my life, while I played college sports a little bit, um, and I've been around sports my whole life, the thought of working in sports had actually never crossed my mind and that lunch opened my my eyes to a world that I didn't even think really existed. So you're a sports fan growing up on Long Island, you played sports your whole life. Was there not a sports business school or classes at Ithaca? Not at that time. And you didn't grow up saying, hey, I want to be Don Mattingly or I want to be the next George Steinbrenner? Uh, no, I mean maybe it was Keith Hernandez for a quick moment, oh, that's but right. Come but back. Mets fans. <laughs> but no, I, you know, no, I, I I never thought that there were people uh, and an institute behind all of those sporting events that that helped put them on and manage that. And when I had this lunch, it just kind of opened my eyes to a whole new world. Sure, because what we knew then were there were athletes, there was an owner, a manager. And a bunch of former athletes, um, maybe a sports agent or two at that time, but that's really about it. So opportunity to work in sports comes up, and it's at a advertising service design agency. Um, what was your job? Yeah, so we kept in touch again. Just so he didn't hire you on the spot? Did not hire me on the spot, I think after some harassment, because uh, when we had lunch, his parting ways were, were at a tough time now, so this was call it uh, October 2011, um, he said, when it comes to recession and downtimes in our economies, two things generally don't turn down, alcohol and sports. And I kind of walked away and thought about it. And at that time, the Yankees were going through their playoff run against the Diamondbacks. And New York was electric and was uplifting for the first time in months. And I, I looked around and was like, this could be kind of cool. So I called Scott and said, hey, whatever you need, I'm, I'm willing to try and, and do. And he said, great, come on in. We'll, we'll see if we can find something. So he ended up hiring me as a new business person, which at the time didn't know what that meant. But I said, sure, I'll do it. So you're a 22-year-old former politician, 21-year-old, 22-year-old <laughs> former politician. You have no experience in sports. You didn't know even the industry existed. But he gave you a job doing new business, which is sales. Which essentially at that time was selling print services in New York City. So go door-to-door, mm-hmm. go prospect companies, sports companies, sports teams, or anybody who needs print services. You know, started with sports teams, but as we know, the sports world is so small. So even if you called every single professional sports team in the big four, you're at 120-plus you know, for someone who does sales, you know that you need to have a, a prospect list larger than that. So it started in sports, and then I just started to work my way out to just try to find sales opportunities wherever I can. So you thought you were in the sports business, but you're selling print services. Yep. There's only so many sports teams, so now the majority of the clients you need to reach out to aren't even sports industry-related yep. businesses. And what did you learn there? Uh, I learned that hard work truly is hard work. And I think... Not in, hard work pays off, but hard work is, is hard, hard work. work. 
you know, my first day on the job, I, I asked Scott, I said, uh, so how do I find these people to call? I didn't know, you know, and he put a yellow pages on my, on my desk. Yellow pages. Some of those young folk might not even know what that is, but a physical phone book and said, you can start from page A and work your way through. And I and started... And in the yellow pages, was it all segmented for you where you can just filter and say, these are the hundred companies <laughs> that I should be looking at in design or sports or anything, or... It was alphabetical by business name in New York City, so... The Adams Acupuncture Company A, and then the Adams Law Firm B, and I would literally look through each and every one and and think about ones that I thought had pr- or needed some type of print service, and would call them. And is this a uh, a salary job or a commission job? It was mostly salary, and then small commission on top of it. And how long did you work at National uh, Communications for? Just about a year and a half. Year and a half. Did you do a lot of sales? No. Well, I did a lot of selling. I can't say that I did a lot of sales. So not a lot of sales, not a lot of commission. Um, and we're, we're, and so you're working at, in the marketing, advertising, services, sales world, um, but you think you work in sports. Uh, 100%. And, and somehow you stayed in sports through the rest of your career. Um, where did you end up next? So I made a big transition to, I was you would probably say, real sports marketing when I uh, landed a job at Octagon uh, after National Communications Group. And that's one of the, Octagon, one of the largest sports consulting representation businesses in the world. Um, you have no sports background. How did, how did you end up getting the job there? Uh, hustle, hard work, but more importantly, I had a relationship from one of our clients at National Communications Group who had left uh, she was working at the Jets, who was a client, had left to go work on a NFL piece of business at Octagon. Uh, she called me one day saying that they were looking for an account executive on the baseball account. She knew I had played baseball and asked me if I would want to pursue it. So hold on. So you're doing sales. You're not closing many deals. One of the clients you're servicing is the New York Jets. Yep. And you developed a relationship yep. with uh, your counterpart at the Jets. All the way to the point that when she got her job at Octagon, in the baseball division, there was an opportunity, and she thought of you, was it a sales opportunity? It was an account service opportunity. And so while you're doing sales, you were also servicing her account at the Jets. She appreciated you so much that she recommended you for an account service opportunity in baseball and one of the largest sports firms in the world. What do you, why do you think she, she thought of you? What do you think gave her the trust to recommend you? Um, you know, especially, uh, was this a job that reported to her? No. So she had nothing to gain out of bringing you in. What, what, where do you think that came from? You know, I think when I worked with her at the Jets, um, you know, National Communications Group taught me how to serve, how to work hard, understand what, a, what an account service means. So my time there, I, I truly learned how to be a, a good listener and i think when when you're when you're when you're silly listen first and um she and i hit it off well i helped her with a few different uh few different projects she had and i think there was just that trust that was built that i knew what she wanted and i always tried to anticipate what she would need next so she calls you she says hey there's a great opportunity at octagon who's the first person you called call my dad What'd your dad say? Said, get working on it. Get your resume done and get it up there as quick as possible. And why did your dad tell you that? Because he knew who Octagon was and I didn't. <laughs> to be totally honest. And when they, when they, when they, when you went on that interview at Octagon, how many people did you interview with? So I did two or three phone interviews first with a woman named Jenny Bodian, who I'll never forget. Um, spoke to her a few times on the phone and I think the only reason I ever went to go work at Octagon was because she was not a sports person. She had come from the military and was an outsider coming in and was looking for an outsider to really come in as well and didn't want to hire another person that has just sort of been there and worked uh, in a in a certain way. So she and I clicked over that and then when I went in for my first in-person I met with at least four people. Four people. And how long... Between each, so you, you get the heads up. There's an opportunity. 
How long were the phone? How many weeks or so did the phone interview, the phone interview process go for? Well, it felt like probably a couple of years, but in reality, it was probably a couple of weeks in between each uh, each engagement. So I would say maybe over the course of four to six weeks. So they bring you in for a full a four to four to four or five different interviews. Probably took a couple hours. Where was Octagon's office? Stanford, Connecticut. And your job is in New York City, and you live in Comac. So at that time, I was living in Brooklyn. You got to Brooklyn. So Brooklyn, yep. so did you take the day off of work? Is that what you did? I did. What did you tell them? I told them I had to go home and help mom and dad do something. I can't remember exactly what, and took took the day. So you went up, and did you say to yourself, hey, Stanford, Connecticut, I want to live in New York City where the action is. I'm living in Brooklyn. Isn't that backwards? You know, I, to be totally honest, at the time, I didn't really care where I lived. I wanted to try to find the next great job. And I, while I love my time in National Communications Group, um, going to really work at a company such as Octagon, once I took the time to learn who they are, um, living really didn't matter to me. And I was actually more worried about Shannon uh, at Octagon telling people at the Jets that I was going up for a job interview, and that would then get back to Scott versus really the prospect of living in Stanford over, uh, the, the, over the, New York. The fear of losing the job you have <laughs> while interviewing for the one you want. We've all been there, I'm sure, at some point. Absolutely. And so how did you get up to Stanford? I drove. You had a car? I had a car. And you and when when you went through this interview process, you met with all four people, they offered you the job the next day? No, not even close. So I went in, met with four people, took all day. I'll, I'll never forget. I took the ferry up because I was worried about traffic and um, met with four people. And probably was a couple of weeks before I heard back from them in general as as feedback. So now you get this dream job opportunity. You're working in sports. You didn't even know it was your dream job. Your dad's guiding you along the way of, hey, go take this. You, th- you let Scott know you're leaving. He's he's upset, I'm sure, for a few minutes, but he's excited for your new opportunity. Appreciate your hard work. Jenny hires you. You work at Octagon for how many years? Three and a half years. And you're working on the agency services side again. And somehow you make it over to Cadbury Schweppes and Dr. Pepper Snapple Group on the brand side. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did that evolve? So I was at Octagon for three and a half years. Actually jumped to IMG for a, a hot flash where I was at IMG for about seven or eight months, uh, left so Octagon. So you went from agency to agency? Went agency to agency. Grass was greener on the other side? No, not as much. Um, I was working, I worked on baseball accounts uh, most of my tenure at Octagon, and IMG had a big client who was looking to potentially get into baseball, and um, I saw a job online for it, applied for it on a Friday, got a call on Monday, which has never happened to me before or after, to be totally frank. And uh, went in, interviewed, got the job. It was a very quick process and um, started IMG. Worked there for seven months. Uh, IMG lost the account. Uh, And as we were seeing that the account was likely going to go away, um, I got a call from Cadbury Schwab's. So you leave a pretty good job at Octagon. Sounds like Jenny is someone who really believed in you. Uh, Was that a hard decision to make? Yeah, it was a really hard one. Um, what made it easy? Uh, it made it easy because Jenny had left. Um, and I think for me at that time, Octagon or the group of people that I was with at Octagon had been stuck at a certain level for quite some time. And I didn't believe that there was upward mobility in the near future. And while I really loved the company and I loved all the people that I work with, um, I didn't want to waste the years doing the same thing over and over again. Did they pay you more money? No, uh, a little bit, but little but bit. marginal. So, gra- so grass was greener in terms of potential growth. IMG, the legendary sports agency owned by Mark McCormick at the time. Yep. Um, you go there seven months later, it all doesn't work out. And w- and and w- what did you do? Did you you knew it wasn't working out? So it was kind of a funny story. So. I applied for a job at Cadbury Schweppes while I was at Octagon, months before I even saw the opportunity IMG. Um, I had a friend who I worked with at Octagon go over to Cadbury Schweppes and similar thing where 
Um, she knew that I was, I had my eyes open and there was an opportunity, uh, in the sports marketing group and she was like, you should go and apply. So I applied, I remember cause I was, uh, I was at the airport traveling. I applied on like a Wednesday and then on Thursday I got an automated rejection note saying that, you know, thank you very much, but your qualifications don't match for the opportunity. In one day. In one day. Wow. So in my mind, Cadbury Schweppes was over, and I was moving on from it, and I then went on to IMG, and my friend, or she and I stayed uh, friends during that time, and the job came open again, because I guess it was never really filled, and she, rather than having me apply online, went to the hiring manager and said, you should talk to this, to this person. And what was the role? It was the sponsorship manager for the juice and... Uh, non-carbonated beverage business. So you're working at an agency. You've only been there seven months. Usually got to stay somewhere they tell you this millennial day and age, a year. (laughs) You have some client management experience. You're at another sports agency doing some client management experience. How'd you get on the brand side? I mean, that's, that's a very desirable job, managing sponsorships, especially at a company like Cadbury Schweppes at the time. What endeared you to them? So at that time, um, you know, I think when I look at my experience at Octagon, I think similar to my experience at Cadbury Schweppes, I was I was a little bit lucky in the sense that the hiring manager who, who had gone on to become a mentor of mine for many years after that was, again, somebody who was looking for someone who was not cut from the same cloth. And at that time, he said that he would had received a lot of internal applicants and didn't want to hire another standard person who would just do things a certain way uh, for the job that they were hiring for, which I didn't really know at the time. They needed someone who can think think outside of the box and think a little bit unique compared to how folks would uh, internally and approach this one challenge. And the fact that I had, was coming from Octagon and IMG really endeared my the idea of me to him. He looked at an agency person as somebody who worked harder. And he wanted somebody that wasn't going to accept no and somebody that was going to continue to push through until they got the answer that they wanted. And he thought that that could be me. Persistence. Persistence. Persistence that you had back at uh, KZS. Yep. And throughout this process, you sounds like you endeared yourself to Jenny. I did. Very and, much so. And Jenny's been... a part of your... uh... So at Dr. Pepper, it was Gerald, Gerald and Jenny, uh, Jenny Octagon, Gerald at Dr. Pepper. And uh, the irony is I only worked for Gerald for about nine months. um, And it was probably one of the best nine months, especially through my career at that point, what I had learned. Why? You know, Gerald was a corporate wizard. He understood the ebbs and flows of the corporate environment better than really anyone I've ever met since, uh, maybe outside of my, of my current manager. But he knew the dynamic of the office, and he knew how to get things done. But you're doing sponsorships. You're not an office culture hmm. manager. Who cares? You know, and, and that was what I assumed, and that was what I thought. And when I started at Cadbury Schweppes, I realized that Coming to the corporate side, you actually don't – You know, I didn't find myself doing sports marketing at all. Again, working in sports marketing but not really doing sports marketing. Um, I was responsible for uh, the Snapple-New York City relationship at the time, which was a monumental uh, partnership. And it was my responsibility to come in and, and try to fix something that wasn't working as well as it should have been. So less to do with actually sponsoring events and – how to make the consumer experience better, drive more value, but really just make things work, make people get along, make people communicate better. 100%. And what did your dad say when you told him about this opportunity? I think he was probably one of the most proud people that I had known thus far. Um, you know, the idea that I had gone out, found it on my own, and, you know, was able to mature in my career that um, he didn't have to advise as much as listen um, and I think you took a lot of enjoyment out of it so most people would take a look at your resume and say wow look at all these amazing companies you worked at helped you get to Cadbury Schweppes and then Dr. Pepper Snapple which uh, started to put some phenomenal things like managing Snapple's New York City partnership 
I appreciate the, the tickets to the Big Apple Barbecue you supplied back then for me. Um, and that just made it easy for you to skate on in your career. Brand Synergy Mars MasterCard, right? Or, or, or no, no, nothing, not, nothing not exactly. Not exactly? You know, I think I had a great run at, at Dr. Pepper. Um, but you went back to school. I went back to school. And why would you go back to school? Uh, so... When I was at Dr. Pepper, uh, I was in sponsorships. I'd done it for two years, and Dr. Pepper did things a, a certain way, and I had learned a lot and, and grew and taken on a lot of responsibility. But I saw the way that a CPG company was set up, especially Dr. Pepper at the time, that the brand management teams were the ones who were really driving each brand, and that was something that I wanted to uh, to pursue. So. There was an internal job opening I'll never forget for the associate brand manager on the Dr. Pepper brand managing the college football relationship and partnership. And Dr. Pepper is one of the largest sponsors in all of college sports, college athletics. I can imagine the, uh, the appeal that that must have had. Uh, you had learned from Gerald a little bit about politics, office culture, how to get things done. Uh, what, what made you go back to school? So I pursued this job, um, endeared myself to the two hiring managers, the brand manager and then the brand director, and in my mind, I thought it was a perfect, a perfect segue into getting into a brand management role and doing through, doing through, doing so through a sports marketing lens. So running college uh, football, went through the internal interview process and later learned that I never actually had a real chance of that job because I did not have an MBA. How discouraging was that to go through an internal interview process at your company and not get a job? I think it was the first time professionally that I experienced disappointment um, in a way that there was nothing I can do about it. I think a lot of the jobs that I had and the work that I had done, I had seen a lot of success and for me i kind of thought that it was uh it was it wouldn't be so difficult to get that job and since i was already there i'd spent two years at the company that it would just be an easy transition for me and when they passed up on me and hired a 22 year old kid out of northwestern you know i think it was really discouraging that the time and effort that i spent in the company didn't really amount to what I thought would be my next step. So you're persistent. I did. So at that time, I, I decided that I never wanted to be told no about a job because of, as I said at the time, a check on the box. So I decided that I was going to go back to school part-time, get my MBA, so any job that I wanted to pursue, if I didn't get it, it would be because they didn't think I was the right person, not because... I didn't have an MBA or something like that. And so you quit your job at Dr. Pepper to make it easy for you to go <laughs> uh, study for the or, or to get into grad school and take the classes and life coasted? Uh, sort of. I, I chose not to quit my job and do it part-time because uh, I was getting engaged at that time and didn't think that putting my family in a place of uh, no income was was the right path. So I also didn't want to give up my job. Um, figuring it was always easier to move and find a new job once I finished. Uh, I thought always I easier stay. to get a job when you have a job, right? Uh, Even if you don't love it. So job, engagement, grad school, all at once. Yep. Didn't phase you? No, I mean, I think it at times it tested me and it, it, it taught me how to prioritize. Um, you know, there were many nights where I couldn't hang out and party and I had to stay in and write papers or ironically I was with on the phone with a friend last night who's also in the process of getting hers and she said I remember being at the track with you years ago while everyone's hanging out you head in the books reading and writing papers it was better than the warehouse always always better than the warehouse at computer associates and so from there you do get your MBA you've obviously you know moved on to some amazing companies like Mars and now MasterCard, you know, what what would you say was the biggest takeaway through this? I mean, you have, you know, a very desirable position. I think we all like to joke that you get to spend corporate America's money and go hobnob and see these events, but 
you know, what we learned today is it's more about what you're doing in the office, how you're working the political game, how you're communicating, mm-hmm. how you're bringing maybe a different point of view to things. You know, what's the biggest takeaway from the video store to Kenny Rogers to the warehouse to networking yourself with a client, ultimately getting yourself in, into one of the most desirable positions in sports? Yeah, I think it's something actually my wife said to me um, that is probably – it's actually two, twofold or threefold. I think, you know, my dad and, and just having somebody to help be a mentor to you because I think it's naive for us to, no matter what level you are, think that you know that you know everything. So having somebody who has a different perspective to help guide you sometimes is incredibly helpful. I would then just add to that real quick that getting my MBA and being pressed in a way that I had never been in my life uh, and learning how to prioritize and, and how to sometimes you have to do not what you want to do but do what you have to do in order to help get to the next step. And then lastly, my wife said uh, when we were having our first baby one day, she said, in life, if you're not your own advocate, no one will be one for you. So I think going back to a lot of what I've talked about is just trying to ask and push and, and speak for yourself. Uh, it sounds a lot easier than it is, but whether it's wanting a new job, wanting a raise, wanting to take on extra work, wanting to learn something new with, within a company, um, always opening yourself up to colleagues, teammates, your bosses, um, and, and asking and pushing for what you want, for what you think is best for you. You know, it's funny. We always ask people at the end of this if they have any advice for someone looking for a job. And the way we like to have that conversation is forget about looking for a job, but somebody that wants to work for you. What can they do to get in front of you? What can they do to impress you? I'm going to ask you a different question today. If somebody wanted to work for your dad, Mm -hmm. how are they going to impress him? Why is your dad going to hire somebody? (laughs) My dad, who has instilled it in me, but he would say, I hire people, I don't hire paper. He said, so make the best version of yourself stand out before you meet him. Do it again when you meet him. And then when you leave, follow up with an impression that will only make him think about you. And if someone was looking to impress you and they, and they finally get in the room and HR says, here's this candidate you're hiring. It's an associate position on the sponsorship team of whatever whatever business unit you're running as you've run some phenomenal business units, how are they going to stand out? What are you looking for? I, so I think that same idea has stuck with me. I think a little bit different to me is I do hire people, and I, I generally, while the resume to me is a guide and gets you in the door, you being you is what will get you to the next step. But I think it's, it's, it's a sort of twofold process for me. It's... Um, showing the passion to to get in the door, having the credentials. Unfortunately, in this day and age, you need to have that at some capacity. You can't get past the, the, the door even into. But for me, um, it's about wanting the job. And I think if you can do the job and you, and you show up and be yourself when we're together and then after you leave the room, the person who wants the job the most is the one who usually gets the job for me. Very cool.